So we're continuing our series looking at the role that we play when adversity comes into our life. Jesus says in John 16:33, in this life you will have trouble. Uh, the real question is, is how will you respond to the trouble that you have in your life? And we looked last week how oftentimes we will default to the role of a victim and assume that we're just helpless and there's nothing we can do about anything that happens in our life and we're just sort of a victim of all the circumstances that happen. This morning we'll be looking at what it's like to respond as the villain. Now both the victim and the villain uh, have one thing in common in that they are the defaults that our system goes to. Our, Our natural sinful nature is going to push us towards one of those two roles where either we assume that we can't control anything about our outcomes or the villain, as you saw kind of in the clip there from Bullet Train, the villain in Bullet Train, um, you either are a victim of what happens or you control what happens. And as we clearly, what the villain does is tries to control everything that's going to happen. So we've been having a lot of fun with this series online with our social media. And so one of the things we put out there this week is to send in a picture of somebody you know who is a villain. And so we got tons of responses back and uh, wanted to show you a couple of the ones we got in. Uh, we put those up. I'm just kidding. We didn't do that. Um, <laughs> but if you were worried or thinking that maybe your picture might be up there, this message is for you. And if you were thinking, oh, I missed out on the opportunity to post somebody, that's a very villainous thing, and this message is for you too. So, And, and I say that because of this. Now, I am obsessive when it comes to preparation. I just am. I I want to read every book I can. I want to listen to anybody else who's ever taught on this topic. I don't care whether it's a sermon or a podcast or a TED Talk, anything. I I just crave input, and and I want to try to read as much stuff as I possibly can, listen as much as I possibly can to prepare for every message I give. What's really odd about this morning's message so what do you do if you're a villain? How do you stop from, you know, from continuing to be a villain or play the role of a villain? Do you know there's almost nothing out there on that? I'm talking books, blogs, websites, podcasts, sermons. I mean, it's almost impossible to find any article on, out there on what to do if you are playing the role of a villain, whether it be a narcissist or a sociopath or uh, a user or an abuser. There's almost nothing out there at all on that topic. Why? Well, I think there's two reasons. One is, who's going to read it, right? I mean, we just assume that if you are that way, that you wouldn't possibly go look for any ways to help yourself. Now, there's millions of stuff out there for what to do if you're dealing with somebody who's one of those things. Like, if you're married to the villain, here's what you do. You're friends with the villain, here's what you do. You work for a villain, here's what you do. You can find millions of articles, resources, sermons, books, everything on that topic. But as far as somebody who's actually living the role of a villain, trying to find some help for that, crickets. I mean, there's like nothing out there. I mean, it's, it's almost impossible to find anything, which I, I think is for two reasons. One is because none of us think we're a villain. Now, if few people think, see themselves as a victim, none of us ever want to admit when we're a villain. I mean, on a rare occasion, we'll admit I was kind of a villainous thing for me to do, but we don't see the villain ourselves, which is why nobody's going to go look for a self-help book on, I'm a villain, please help me, right? That's said nobody ever, right? That's just not something you have out there. So there's just an assumption that you're not going to know what it is. And if you are, you're not going to want to do anything about it. And so there's nobody out there because there's no market for it. At least that's the assumption. Now, on the other side, I come back as a pastor and I like, I know what the biblical story is. I know what the 
overarching uh, picture of what life is all about, and that God created humanity. Satan, who is the villain of all villains, entered in with a mission and a mindset to make a villain out of everybody in the world. Furthermore, all of us would agree we live in a sinful and fallen and broken world. There's evil all around. Why does God allow evil to happen? And the reason why evil happens is because of me. That's the answer. Why, why, is, why is there evil in the world? Because of me. Every one of us contributes to the evil in the world. And I have to recognize and understand that I too have played the part of a villain. After all, if you haven't, then you're Jesus Christ. Because everybody has sinned, everybody has fallen short of God, and we all either default to either the victim or the villain. So every one of us is a villain, which is why it almost seems like the only self-help manual out there for villainous behavior is, dare I say, the Bible? There's not really anything else out there. It's kind of funny. I was like, what else out there to help somebody quit being a villain? And you kind of came back as like, duh, sometimes it's the obvious answer, pastor. (laughs) There's actually a book written for people who become a villain. Because all of us go down the path of a villain, and that is what Scripture is all about. And that's why Scripture is replete with just villainous story after villainous story after villainous story. I mean, you go to the very beginning. What's the very first story? Adam and Eve. They go right to the role of victim, and then they go straight to villain. I couldn't help it. What was I supposed to do? Villain. Blame. She's blame. Right? And then what happens with with their kids? What, What happens with Cain and Abel? I mean, if there's ever a villain story right off the bat, if you didn't think Adam and Eve was a villain story, Cain murders Abel. I mean, and you're right into victim, villain right there within the, you know, the first generation of humanity. And then it says that by the time of Noah, there were so many villains on the whole earth, God had to wipe them all out. So I'm just going to stop right there and just say we all have issues with being a villain, but few of us ever want to admit it or say that we have any problem with it or have an issue uh, dealing with it. So with that being said, I want to start off with kind of understanding the idea of what it is to be a villain and why it is we have a hard time seeing it ourselves. And I figure being that it is Super Bowl Sunday, I would start off with a Super Bowl metaphor. Oh, look at that, a new Eagles fan. I, I figured there'd be a lot of them. I'm just kidding, I'm kidding. I love doing it. Eagles fan, man, you know you know what an Eagles fan is like. They, they're, they're ready to go anytime. And so every time I see an Eagles fan when the Eagles are in the Super Bowl, I always go, oh, Fairweather fans, right? Um, someday there'll be lots of Dolphins fans here, maybe. I don't know. Uh, anyways, but, so I want to start off with a football analogy to help understand the villain mindset. Oh, there's another another one over there. Um, New shirt? Looks like a brand new shirt. It's nice. Yeah. Um, they'll be on clearance maybe next. No, I'm kidding. Uh, so when you get to football, around the end of the season, like last four or five weeks left in the season. Now, if you're a Redskin commander football, whatever you guys call yourselves, if you're, if you're one of those fans or if you're a Dolphins fan, you know, you know this, what I'm going to say next, you get, right? After having the kind of season where you're mad at your owner, you're mad at your coach, uh, you're mad at all the garbage players that you ended up with and all the good players that you have are all injured, you'll get to about four games left in the season. You'll be watching SportsCenter, listening to Sports Talk Radio, and they'll be talking about playoff contenders. And you know that that doesn't apply to you. And all of a sudden, you'll hear either the Dolphins or the, what are you guys, commanders, football team, Redskins people, you'll hear your team mentioned, right? And you'll be like, what? We actually have a shot at the playoffs? No. Playoff? Playoffs? No. Playoffs, right? And they'll be like, well, here's the thing. If you run the table, win all the rest of your games, and every good team and the rest of the league loses everything around the, you know, the rest of the way, then you'll get the last spot in there even with a losing record. And so some of us are hard to court enough fans will be dumb and dumber in this moment and go, so you're saying there's a chance, right? Right? <laughs> But it doesn't happen, and we don't end up the playoffs. That's typically how our seasons go. However, every once in a blue moon, you'll be in the category. Now, 
if you're a Dolphins fan or a Redskin commander, whatever fan, you're never expecting to be the number one seed. That's, 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 that's not us. We don't play that game. What our hope is, is to be in the category of playoff contenders that are in the group that's called control your own destiny, right? These teams control their own destiny. In other words, if they win out, it doesn't matter what happens with any other team in the league. You win and you're in. That's a good place to be, isn't it? I mean, like when you find your team in that place, you're like, we got a shot. What's interesting is that this year, once again, both the Dolphins and the Redskins were in the winner you're in category. Now, Dolphins snuck in the back door, admittedly, uh, on accident almost, and the Redskins, of course, just missed it by one. And that's typically how the season goes out because we're not the, you know, control your own destiny kinds of teams. But it's a good place when you know that all you got to do is do handle your business and you're in. Isn't that where you want to be as a team? And dare I say, that's also kind of where you want to be in life, right? I want to be in a place where I can control my own destiny. Because I heard last week about the victim. The victim can't control anything. The victim just assumes everything happens to them. They're not in control of anything. And they're just a victim of circumstance, whatever comes along. And so some of you took a response to that and says, well, that's not going to be me any longer. I'm going to control my own destiny. I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that I make things happen. Now, there's an element of this, which is good. Because you need to control the things that you can control where you step over from a heroic stance of saying, I need to control the things I can control, into the role of the villain, the villain decides, I'm going to try to control my own destiny by controlling everything, even things I can't control. And so one of the primary or clearest definitions of what a villain is, it's someone who tries to control their own destiny by any means possible. And when you live on a mission to control your own destiny by any means possible, what ends up happening is that people would describe you as, or you will become, Somebody who is narcissistically completely self-absorbed because the only thing you care about is your own destiny. Anybody else in the world, it doesn't matter. So you become narcissistically self-absorbed because all you care about is yourself and your own destiny and making sure I will never hurt like I hurt before. Now, victims, they'll continue hurting the rest of their life, but not me, baby. I'm going to make sure I never hurt like that ever again. And I will order my world in such a way that I will run over whoever I have to run over because I'm looking out for number one, because that's the way this world is. So you become narcissistically self-absorbed. Second of all, you become sociopathically, if that's even a word, uh, uh, careless about anybody else. You have, you have no empathy for anybody else. You could care less what you do, what, how it hurts anybody else, the feelings, emotions, the impact on anybody else. All you care about yourself, and I don't care who I have to run over, and I don't care what your feelings are. Listen, feelings don't, don't matter. Feelings are for losers, okay? You know, either get on board or get out of the way. That's, that's all I care about, right? And so I'm moving along, and if this hurts you, So what? You need to look out for yourself like I'm looking out for myself, okay? There's winners and there's losers. You get to choose which one you be. That's sort of the path you go down, so you could care less about what it does to anybody else. Uh, You end up becoming either a bully or a manipulator. Why? So you can get everybody else to do what you want to do, whether by fear or intimidation. They'll do whatever it is you want them to do. And, And above all, you're incapable of forgiveness because why forgive somebody? That's a tool you can use for later. I mean, after all, it's it's nice when it could be 10 years down the road. You can whip that baby back out, slap it on the table, oh yeah, but what about the time back in 1994 when you blank, right? And it's your get out of jail free card for the rest of your life. And so if you are a villain and you want to control your world, that's where it leads. And that's why we look at those people and go, you're a villain. I mean, if you put that, you put that overlay on any movie you've ever seen where there's a villain, that pretty much characterizes how they live. Because they're going to control their own world. The reason why I chose the book, there was, do you know how hard it is to just choose one clip for a message like this? I chose that one because I usually try to find something that's very succinct and to the point. 
and if he actually comes back, and usually there's those, you know, Scooby-Doo moments at the end of the thing where they explain how they did it and why they did it. That's what happens in that moment. Explains how they did it and why they did it. And he comes out and just says, I did it all. Why? Because either life controls you or you control life. And so I'm going to control everything in my world. And that's what the villain does. They try to control everything in the world. What's really interesting, though, with the villain is they try to control everything in the world except their own anger. Now, some people say, well, except for themselves. No, villains are oftentimes very self-controlled. You know, they will accomplish and they will do and they will become very rich, very successful, very powerful. They can do anything they set their mind to because they are going to control their own body. But the one thing they never try to control is their own temper, their own anger. And so often that leads to the downfall of every villain, including perhaps maybe yourself as well. So if you haven't figured out whether or not you're a villain or how you play the villain, uh, let me talk about some of the results of villainous behavior. Maybe you might see some of these in your own life. Uh, one of them is, a, is it ultimately leads to isolation. Because after all, if you're going to treat other people the way that I just talked about, as far as manipulation or bullying or sociopathically not caring about anybody else's feelings or how what you're doing might hurt them, uh, if you are going to be narcissistically focused on yourself all the time, that doesn't make for very good relationships. So instead of having friendships, what you end up trying to find are minions, people who will just do your bidding. And when you're done with them, then you're done with them. They're only your friend whenever you need them, and when you don't need them, they're not really your friend anymore. And uh, you don't ever need anybody to turn to in your real hard times because after all, all you have to look out for is yourself. And if you find somebody else, you're just going to use them somewhere along the way. And you might say, well, why would anybody even try to be a friends with a villain? Well, because they assume that this is going to be a friendship, but it actually doesn't become a friendship. You just become a minion to them, and then when they're done with you, they move you on, which is why it's so great that, I mean, the cartoons are often exaggerations of even the story motifs anyway. Is it any wonder that in Despicable Me, the whole story is about what? It's about the most despicable of all the villains, and what does he have? He has an army of minions. And then the whole story is about can he love somebody just for the sake of love can he love these three girls just to love them and so you see his heart sort of mold around you know he's sort of transforming from a villain into a nice person simply because of his relationship with the little girls um there's a a great uh case study of this if you watch the movie cruella now cruella is one of the disney's gone through and they tried to give the backstories of several of the villains I thought this was very interesting. I haven't watched a lot of them, but I did watch this one for one particular reason. Because Cruella, I remember years ago, was voted as the most evil of all the villains that Disney's ever made. Of all of the cartoon villains. Think of every villainous character. Because every one of the the Disney cartoons has a villain, right? She was voted to be the worst of the worst of all of the villains of any of the uh, Disney characters. Which... I thought it'd be interesting because if you're going to create a backstory, one of the things you have to sort of do is you sort of have to get the audience to sympathize with them. And in a backstory, they're kind of the hero of their backstory, right? So how do you take somebody who's the most villainous of all the villains and and make them a hero? Now, you might say, well, you might be thinking to yourself, maybe you don't agree with that, but let's face it. Is there anything more heinous in our society than hurting a dog, right? I mean, you, you could kill somebody drunk driving and we could forgive you, but if you go and you murder a dog... You're done forever. That's pretty much how. You don't agree with me? Okay. (laughs) I I know. I know. Okay. A couple years back, this was probably about gosh, 10, 15 years ago. um, My grandfather passed away, and uh, we went to go down there. He lived in this trailer, like a double wide coach, whatever you want to call it. 
and he had a dog, and so the neighbors took care of the dog, um, you know, until we got down there and we're done with the funeral, and then um, when we were down there, the dog came back into the house for the first time uh, after he had passed away, and wouldn't you know, the dog went right over and jumped up on my grandfather's favorite chair and just laid down there. And this was the sad part, and the next morning, the dog had died. See, none of y'all cared at all when my grandfather died. (laughs) There wasn't a single emotion shared in this room. It was like, yeah, okay, grandfather died. But as soon as I said the dog died, which is why she hurts puppies, she's the worst. Okay, so let's just begin with that. See, there's things about yourself you won't admit until you see it for yourself, okay? So, because she kills puppies, she's the worst. How do you make her out to be a hero? What they did is something very interesting. They started off, and they had to give her, of course, her hurt story, because even villains have hurts, just like the heroes have a hurt. And so what's her hurt story? She's an orphan. Why is she an orphan? Because somebody far more cruel than even she is, is the one who was responsible for killing her mother. And so she grows up as an orphan, and she wants to get revenge on the one who made her into an orphan and has hurt her all her life. That's sort of the backstory of the movie. But what's really interesting is they sort of go back and forth in the movie between her being the hero and being the villain. And you know how they cue the audience to see her as each? How she treats her friends, Horace and Jasper, oh, and her dog, Wink. Now, if she's nice to Horace and Jasper, she's a hero. She's a Stella. However, there are certain times in the movie where she abuses them and treats them as minions, and you begin to see the villain that she truly is. But then at the end of the movie, because they still want you to root for her and walk out with a smile on your face, she makes up with Horace and Jasper, and they end on good terms. And so she ends up as the hero as that story ends before she goes on to be the major villain. But isn't it interesting that if you want to have somebody recognize somebody as a villain, it's all in how they treat other people. Because villains have a very difficult time with relationships. After all, if all you look out for yourself, and what you're doing is trying to control everything around you, you're going to have a very difficult time with relationships. Furthermore, you're going to have an extremely difficult time in your relationship with God because God's the one who's ultimately in control. Now, this was the lesson of Job. If you go over to Job chapter 41, this is what God is trying to explain to Job. Job's looking up at God and he's like, you know, I've done everything I possibly can to control my world. I've been the best person I can possibly be. I've amassed wealth for myself. And yet this is what happens. How could this happen, God? I thought you were in control. And what can I do? I've done everything I can do. Now, God, you're not doing what you can do. And my life's a mess. And God comes back and he says, listen, I've created you, or I've put you in a world that I've created that has some sort of clues to let you know you can't control everything in your environment. And so he says, I don't, whether you call it a behemoth and leviathan, some mythical creature, or if you interpret them as the crocodile and the hippo, the hippo and the crocodile works for what I'm going to explain next. He says, basically, listen, I've made puppies, and you can, the reason why we don't like gorillas, of course, because we all love puppies, right? What do we love about puppies? They're, they're man's best friend. You can train a puppy to sit and to stand and to beg if you take them to obedience school. I know, some of you have bad puppies, but whatever, you know what I'm talking about. He's like, you know, and, and after a while, when you begin to do that with a puppy, you begin to think, wow, we really are the rulers of the earth. We are really the masters of the domain that God has put us over. We really can control all nature. But God says, you know, I didn't create all puppies. I created things like the hippopotamus, and I created alligators. And you can't control those animals. And, and we've seen the disastrous results when people take wild, carnivorous animals, and they try to make pets out of them, right? They bite people's arms off. Eventually, that tiger turns on Siegfried and Roy. Eventually, that's going to happen, right? And, it's, and nobody's surprised when it does. I always say when Steve Irwin died, we all had two reactions. Oh, eh. (laughs) right? 
oh, come on, seriously, you all were like, no, well, we had the awe, oh, but then there was the other part of you said, that was going to happen at some point, right? And what, what was he most known for? Trying to put his daughter on the back of a crocodile. People said, Steve, that's not a tamed animal. That's still a crocodile. You can't do that. He tried to buck against what God had said, where God said, listen, I put animals in your world that you cannot control. And if you think you control them, eventually you'll realize you're not in control. And so for the villain who tries to control things that they cannot control, will find themselves ultimately at odds with God. Because eventually what's going to happen is you'll find there's things in your life you can't control. And who do you blame for that? Well, when you run out of minions to blame, eventually you'll blame God. Because God's not doing what you want him to do. And we'll see that play out later on in one of the other stories we're going to look at in a minute. Um, so that's what God tries to explain to Job, and that villains always end in isolation. Paul's uh, instruction to the church in Philippi for the villainous behavior that was going on there, he simply says to them, each of you should look not to your own interest, but look out for the interest of others. Uh, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather than humility, value others above yourself. This is uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses uh, 2, 3, and 4. And then he says, in your relationships, you should be more like Jesus Christ. Now, is there anybody else who had greater opportunity to play the villain than Jesus Christ? Just pause for a minute. Just, I know he never did. However, what would you do if somebody falsely accused you, threw you in prison, whipped you, and then killed you, and you came back to life? What would you do? Would you be looking for revenge? How would your movie play out? Would it be a Schwarzenegger moment where you go, I'll be back, right? <laughs> but what's Jesus do? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And never once does he go out and take vengeance on those who hurt him. That's what a hero does. Villain? Uh, us? Not so much. I know I'm a villain when I think about that story. And so he says, you should have the mind of Jesus Christ, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, or used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. Humility is the key here. Villains are never humble. Um, because all they think about is themselves. So he says, he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance of, uh, of a man, he humbled himself, became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Um, so villains always end up in isolation because they cannot humble themselves. They can't be in relationships always using people. Uh, the other thing about a villain is they never grow. Victims and villains have this other thing in common. They never grow. They never, they, they always end up in the same place. Uh, when, when you watch a movie with a villain, they're a villain at the beginning of the movie and they're a villain at the end of the movie. They don't grow unless they move to the role of a hero. Because victims say, I'm not, you know, the only way you grow is when you respond to the adversity, you adjust your life, you adjust your path, you adjust who you are in such a way that you transform who you are to deal with the adversity in your life. The victim says, Why transform? There's nothing I can do about it. The villain says, I'll transform, I'll transform everything in my environment. Only way I'm going to transform is to never be a sucker ever again. And so they never actually grow or mature as a person. They just get stuck in this self-centered, self-serving place. And as long as you continue down that path, as long as the way you continue to deal with people is as of a villain, you'll never grow through it. You'll continue to blame and accuse and harbor anger and bitterness and resentment for the rest of your life. So what do we do about it? Let's get on to that. What do we do about it? Um, number one, the first most important thing is accept that I am a villain. Be able to identify it in my own life. That's one of the things I really hope you get out of this series is to be able to spot in your own life when you begin to act the part of a victim. Spot in your own life when you're playing the part of a villain. 
You know, when is it that I am insensitive to other people's needs? When is it that I'm only thinking of myself? When is it that I have no empathy for how my actions have hurt somebody else? When is it that I have used reckless words and I don't really care or think about how they've impacted the other people in my life or my kids or the impact that's going to have on them? When is it that I'm only thinking about myself and what's in my best interest and not thinking about the other people around me that God's entrusted to my care? When am I playing the part of a villain in my life? And for those times, for some of you, it's a lot more than others, but all of us have times in our life where we're playing the part of a villain and dare I say, you're probably playing a lot more than you realize. Step number one is I need to accept I am a villain. That's one of my default characteristics is to go to the villain place. I need to accept that. I need to confess that. I need to go to God and say, God, I am a villain. I need your help. Please, I don't want to be in this place anymore. Villains never change. That's why at the end of all time, they ultimately end up with the ultimate villain of all time. They never transform into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, so number one, accept it. Uh, second of all is, same thing as I said with victimhood, um, gratitude is one of the biggest keys here. Thanksgiving should be more than one meal and one holiday one time a year. Now, I wish I could eat like Thanksgiving all year long, but I can't. Uh, however, Thanksgiving should be a daily practice for our life. Villains aren't grateful for anything. Like, why should I be grateful for anybody? I, I'm my own person. I've made my own way. I've done all my own things. The only thing other people are in my life for is to blame. I'm not thankful for them. I've done it all... I, I'm a self-made person. Villains always go down this path where they're ungrateful for everything in their life. However, when you begin to realize how interdependent you are, how much other people have helped you and contributed to your success in your life, how you would not be who you are without those people in your life, it moves you to a place of gratitude, at least has the potential to move you to a place of gratitude. And if you focus intentionally on saying, every day I'm going to think of at least three things I'm thankful for or tell somebody at least once a day, that I'm thankful for them or their contribution to my life or what they're doing or what I've benefited from what they've done, and then ultimately thank God because he created me and gave me everything I have. Thank God because he didn't smite me on the spot when I deserved it. I mean, how many times should God have just wiped you out, right? Seriously, if you're honest, multiple times. How many times do you think somebody has prayed that God would take you out? And he ignored that prayer, thank God, right? Thank God for that. Thank God for the times where he hasn't done and taken out the justice on you he should have taken on you that he's given you the mercy and the grace that you're still here, that you still have an opportunity to have a relationship with him. Every day you have something to be thankful for and focus in on that. Villains are never thankful. And you are one step away from your villainous attitude when you begin to look for things to be thankful and grateful for in your life. Um, and then lastly, if I can get to my lastly, if I can ever open my notes up once again, um, uh, is at some point you've got to put your trust in God. I've got to trust God for the things I can't control. Jesus says in John 14, he says, uh, in your trouble, don't be troubled in your heart, but trust in God and trust in me. Just as you've trusted in God, trust also in me. Now, uh, after this happens in this whole little section, there's a story, and actually it was, after, it was that something comes up that goes back to earlier in his life. Uh, over in Matthew 16, there's a story, if you've grown up in church, you probably know this story. If you're not, I'll, I'll tell you for the first time. And it's one of these stories that we read as Christians, and we kind of go... A little odd. I don't really understand what's going on there, but I'm sure something's going on there that I don't quite understand. Well, maybe if you understand it from this mindset of a villain is somebody who's trying to control all the outcomes and control everything in their life, put Peter in that place for a minute. Now, Jesus has just asked the greatest trivia question of all time, or sorry, Jesus just asked the greatest trivia question of all time, and Peter's gotten the right answer. Jesus asked the question, who do people say that I am? And other disciples are kind of spitballing out some other ideas, and then Peter says, you're the Christ, you're the Messiah, you're the chosen one, the one God has always promised to send, and 
you're not just the Messiah, you're God's son. You're, you're God of very God. Now, just think how crazy it is to look at another, what looks to be or appears to be before you a human being and say, you are God in the flesh in front of me. And Jesus looks back at me and says, you know, you didn't figure this out on your own. Flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. God alone revealed this to your heart. So you, you got this understanding straight from God. So, wow. And all the disciples looking around, Peter going, yay, Peter, good job. And then they leave that place and they're kind of on the road talking. And it says this, from that time, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go down to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and teachers of the law. And then he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. And so you can just picture Jesus and the disciples are walking along. He's explaining what, you know, what's going to happen from here on out. And, and then Peter pulls him aside and began to rebuke him. Now, it's, just pause for a minute. Who's got the nerve to rebuke Jesus? How narcissistically self-absorbed, okay, sociopathically, unempathetically unaware do you have to be to decide that you're going to rebuke the guy that you just said is God? Just let that simmer for a second, okay? You've got to think for a second mentally, who do you have to be? What do you have to be? What is your mindset to get to that place where you feel like you can rebuke God? Now, maybe a lot of you have done it. I know I've done it. I've looked at God and said, God, you've made a mistake here, right? And what am I doing in that moment? All right. Um, so Peter says, never, Lord. This shall never happen to you. This whole thing about you dying on a cross, nope, bad idea. Don't go through with it. Nope. Not a good idea. And Jesus turns to Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. One minute, he's got this, you know, moment of divine revelation. And the next minute over here, Jesus is looking at Peter and he says, get behind me, Satan. You're the very embodiment of Satan in this moment. He says, you don't have in mind the things of God, um, but merely human concerns. And then he goes on and gives this teaching. So sometimes the teaching helps explain this moment. People are always like, well, what does it mean? Get behind me, Satan. How's this all working out? And Jesus says this, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their, their life for me will find it. Let me just pause for a minute. What is the villain intent on doing? I'm looking out for number one. I'm going to save my life. It's up for me and only me. And I'm looking out for myself. And all I care about is myself. Deny myself, not a villain. Villain never denies himself. They only think about themselves. And Peter's got to be thinking, I don't like what this would mean for me if you die on the cross. Nope, that is not in my plans. That is not good for me. That is not what I want. And therefore, I don't think it's good for what you want. And so the villain is always trying to manipulate the people around them to get them to do what they want to do. And that's where Peter's at. And nothing is more villainous in spirit than that. Nothing comes from the villain himself more than that kind of thinking. So Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. So then he goes on and he says, Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. For what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Is that not the mo motif of every villain? I want to rule the world? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with angels, and they will reward each person according to what they have done. Now, where does Peter go from here? Last Supper, Jesus flies it again. I'm going to die. Tonight's the very night. I'm gonna Plan's going in action. What's Peter say? <laughs> no, you won't. Never, Lord over my dead body. Peter, you're going to deny you even know me three times before the rooster crows. And then, if you go to John chapter 21, Jesus confronts him on the beach, and he's like, I know you still don't get it, but one day you will. And one day you'll end up giving your life for me just like I gave it for you. And Peter goes, okay, but what about him? I'll do it if he does it. 
He's like, what difference does it make what happens with him, man? You've got to trust me. You've got to trust me, Peter. You've got to trust me. You've got to trust me. You've got to trust that I know what I'm doing, and this is for your own good. And I know you don't like the path that's going to get you there. I know you don't like the adversity along the way. And I know this is a part of life that you're not in control of, but you just have to trust I'm in control. I know what I'm doing, and you've got to trust me on this. Until you can trust God with the things in life that are beyond your control, you will go down the path of being a villain. There's no other place to go. There's no other place to go. You will villainously try to take control of everything in your life, including God. And that's what Peter does in this moment. And he looks at me and says, get behind me, Satan. This is Satan at work in your life. The question is, will you accept that I'm playing the villain? Will you turn to God and gratitude and other people in your life and recognize how thankful you are for them and recognize their contribution to your life and you wouldn't be where you are without them? And then finally, can you trust God that he knows what he's doing for the parts of your life that you have no control over? Oh God, grant me the ability to control the things I can and to accept the things I can't and the wisdom to know the difference. Would you join us as we close our time in prayer? Father, I thank you for your grace over our life that you have not judged us at multiple times along our path for being the role of the villain. Father, help us recognize it and see it both in our past but also in our present and future. Father, we may move away from the self-absorbed, non-empathetic, unforgiving abuser, Father, that we tend to be when we try to control the people around us, the circumstances around us. And Father, trust that they're in your hands. That each person that's in our life, Father, is a tool and an instrument that you're using to make us more like your son, Jesus Christ. Friends, spouses, family, children, mothers, mothers-in-laws, fathers, fathers-in-laws are all in our life to make us more like your son, Jesus Christ. May we be thankful, Father, that we're, that we're still here, you're still working on us, and you're not done with us yet. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen.